Conventional Wisdom is the name of our new series. Not conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom is the wisdom of the age, of this age. That's conventional wisdom, whatever people who happen to be walking around think right now, the collective uh, wisdom of this age. It's the wisdom of the ages. Insight through hindsight. This morning we're asking the question, can... We find wisdom through fear. Does fear really have something to do with wisdom? I mean, after all, the Bible says hundreds of times, fear not. In addition to that, it says things like, God is your rock, rock of your salvation. He's a fortress. He will shatter you under his pinions, his wings. He calls himself Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Such words of comfort laying you down in green pastures as a shepherd. So why would Proverbs 9, 10 say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? Let's find out from the same author, Solomon, Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 7. Hear God's word this morning. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, and do not let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase, the words grow many. There is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. This is God's word. Let us pray. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are filled with your glory. May we glimpse a little of it this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Harvard College was our first university of the United States. 1636 is when it was founded, and Its charter documents say this. Knowing God and Jesus Christ is the only salvation or foundation for knowledge and learning. Knowing God and Jesus Christ is the only solid foundation for knowledge and learning. And for hundreds of years, this was the charter. This was the idea that there was reason and there was experience 
but there was also revelation. In fact, if you look at Harvard's seal, veritas, truth, that's Latin for truth, it's broken up into ve, re, and tas. You can see three books. Two books that are open and one where you just see the spine, veritas. The idea is that you know through reason and experience and revelation. There's a sense of humility about knowledge. But at some point in Harvard's history, not sure exactly when, they turned on their seal, they turned that book over. So if you were to go and see the bronze statues of the, of the seal today, if you were to go to that campus, you would see the spine of the third book. But if you look on their letterhead, you'd see three open books. The knowledge, knowing God and Jesus Christ is the only solid foundation for knowledge and learning. But John Harvard would be very surprised today to learn, as I did this past week, that Harvard last year elected a new head of their chaplaincy. Their new chaplain head is an atheist. His name is Greg Epstein. That seems kind of strange, doesn't it? That uh, the head of the chaplains at Harvard would be an atheist. What Greg said uh, in this New York Times article is that there's a growing number of people who do not hail from any particular faith tradition, but still want to have conversation around what it means to lead an ethical life. Now, isn't that exactly the question of Ecclesiastes? How do you live the good life apart from God? That question has been asked and answered thousands of years ago. And he said, you can't. I've explored it. I've had the means to explore it. I've tried it. I've poked at everything. I've looked at the, we looked at last week at, at the five different toils to see what is worth pursuing and loving under the sun. That's his code for life apart from God. If this is all there is under the sun, what's worth pursuing? And he says, vanity. It's all futile. It's been asked and answered. No disrespect to Greg, but somebody should tell him. You know, see, what's going on here is, and I, I think it's important to remind ourselves of this every couple of years, that original sin did not begin with a bite of a fruit. It began with a thought. And here's the thought. This is where original sin began. It's to take what God said and to take what, what, what Satan or what evil offers, and it's to elevate ourselves over it and become judge to make ourselves the measure of all things. That's, that's what it means to try to pursue knowledge and wisdom apart from God. But what we're going to see this morning in looking back into this passage is that you're just not going to find much understanding until you're willing to stand under you're not going to find much understanding until you're willing to stand under. To stand under God, not over him, a little quieter. 
That's the sermon. <laughs> I'm not going to close in prayer, but I just wanted you to have it up front because there's a lot to explore here, and I want you to be able to have it all. There it is. You're not going to find much understanding until you're willing to stand under, not over, a little quieter. Let's look at that. First, willing to stand under. Stand under. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What, is, what kind of fear is this? Well, it's a, it's a kind that says, I have some respect. I have a sense of awe. I, as Isaiah says, I close my mouth. Job says, I'm just going to put my hand over my mouth. That's the kind of fear. One time when we, were on, we lived on Signal Mountain, there was a cliff called Falling Water. And it was a dangerous cliff. Uh, unless you didn't go anywhere near it. So it was fine. Uh, so I, told, I took our kids and introduced them to this cliff because I, I wanted them to have respect for the area that we were in. And uh, so we talked about it in the car. I said, the cliff doesn't want to hurt you, but it can. It's just, it's just a cliff. It's just there. But you should still have a little bit of fear for it. Uh, I think the, the only one who was afraid that day was me. And so, uh, so I took them and I, and I said, okay, what, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get down on our bellies and we're going to crawl out and we're going to look over the cliff. Just our chin is going to go over the cliff. And uh, we did that. And they developed a healthy sense of fear and awe for the area that we lived in. Watch your step. Watch your step. The cliff doesn't want to hurt you. Watch your step. This is exactly what... Solomon is saying, God is who he is. You say, well, well Jesus revealed himself. I mean, wh- when Jesus was revealed, the, the curtain between us and the Holy of Holies was rent, was divided, was ripped in part. And now we have access to God. The full measure of God was pleased to dwell with Jesus, Tim. Isn't that, isn't that true? I mean, can we approach God boldly or not? Yes, but, but the point is, no who you're talking to. Don't forget who you're talking to. Jesus, in describing himself, said, I am. God, describing himself, said, I am that I am. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. The Pharisees understood that, and they were ready to stone him because of it. They understood. He was invoking the the very name of God, Yahweh. And one way of looking at that, translating that, is I will be what I will be. And there's a sense that knowing God is to know him in some mystery. So it's a little bit like this. Yes, we're invited to pour out our hearts before God. Cast all your cares before him for he cares for you. But who are you talking to? Do you remember who you're talking to? I mean, imagine, imagine you, your father is the president of the United States. Imagine that you drive up, before you imagine that, imagine that you drive up to the, to the gates of the White House and your dad isn't the president. Are you going to get in? Right? It's going to be pretty difficult if you're not on some kind of special list, vetted list. You're not going to get past the front gate. But imagine now that your father is the president. And they know who you are. They know you're the son or you're the daughter of the president. You're going to get right in. They're going to wave you right in. And you're going to walk right into his office. 
Let's just say you're a child. You can jump up into his lap. Give him a hug and a kiss. It's your dad. But are you going to call him by his first name? I don't advise that. I, I advised my kids against that. You know, you, you get, you, you know, there, there's, a, there's a person that is in that role. And maybe, maybe that hasn't been a great experience for you. Maybe it's been a great experience for you. But whether or not it is, it's a role. And it's important to know who you're talking to in order to address them for who they really are. God wants to, us to know him for who he really is. Not just our version of him, not just our dumbed-down version of him, not just what we want him to be, not just our own projections of what we want him to be. That's why he's saying, guard your steps when you go near to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Well, what's that mean? Well, those are people who are standing over. We need to stand under, not over. Let's think about that for a minute. You know, that Eve and Adam standing over what God said, what Satan said, making themselves the measure of all things. It says uh, in verse 3, it says, uh, For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. Now, this is the way that the wisdom literature talks. It makes parallels. Uh, dreams come with much busyness. So, <laughs> with many words, here comes the voice of a fool. Well, what's, what's, what's he saying? What's he saying? He's saying, just as you have all kinds of cares and busyness and you're running around and you're not really resting, right? Even in your sleep, you're restless. Even in your sleep, your, your dreams are, are coming and, and provoking you and, and, and making you anxious. Anxious thoughts. You can't even rest. So, too, when our words fill, take up all the oxygen in the room, we tend to stray into a certain kind of voice, the voice of a fool. Let me describe to you what I think this is like. Someone told me many years ago that when you spend a lot of money to fly an expert down and you, you have a problem to solve and, uh, and, and you've been working on it for a long, long time, but you've decided to get a, a consult from outside of your organization or outside of whatever your effort is, they said, if you, if you spend a lot of money and time and effort and you bring somebody in and they know what they're talking about and uh, you, you, you go to all this time and effort and they come and they're sitting there around the table, listen to him. <laughs> listen to him. And you think, well, of course you're going to listen to him. Well, I've seen it on several occasions. We've gone to all of this trouble. And we haven't listened. We actually spent all of our time talking, filling the room with all of our confusion and anxiety over the issue, over the problem. Uh, I remember this happened in Thomasville. Many, many years ago, y'all aren't going to make the connection to this. This was outside 
First Presbyterian Church, but we brought in somebody who is really probably, well, I'm not going to name him because some of you all might piece this together, and I don't want to indict anybody here, but everybody involved in this is gone and all that, so don't worry about it. I just don't want anybody to think that I'm, I'm always looking for my next sermon illustration. You're, you're not going to be my next sermon illustration, I promise. But this was many, many years ago, and, and uh, we brought in somebody who I, I consider one of the world's top Christian intellectuals. Uh, he is hands down one of the brightest people who is a believer living today and was brought in to give a talk. And we had a lot of people in the room, and there were a lot of people who were at this, at this gathering. And we were there, I think, for two hours before it was even acknowledged that he was in the room. And I was so confused because I went to hear him. <laughs> and he was, I found out later, he was pretty perturbed because everybody was worn out by the time he got up and he had gone to a lot of trouble but see this is what we do isn't it i mean you think well of course you're going to listen to you bring them in of course you're going to listen to them but this is what we tend to do we tend to think gosh i need to get all my words out i need to i need to just sort of get control of what what's going on here i need to figure out how to capture the problem here, or at least to be able to name the problem. I need to use my words to get control of whatever I can get control of. You hear the word, control? And so the words proliferate. They fill the room. They take up all the oxygen in the room. And we don't have much time left to listen. And yes, there are places, of course, where David pours out his heart to God, wheat and chaff together, right? Absolutely, we should do that. More often than not, though, he's talking to himself. He's talking to himself in a way that says, my soul, why are you this way? Incline your heart, incline your ears to the Lord. More often, the words that he's using are getting him to reorient himself to be under God rather than over him, not using his words to just pour out all his anxiety, but to get it out so that he can listen again. I think this is why Jesus gave us such a simple prayer, a reorienting prayer. You think about the words of the Lord's Prayer that we prayed just a little bit ago, and it just it reorients us again and again, every word of it, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Even when we're petitioning him for our daily bread, we're saying we depend on you for our daily bread. Goes into the debts that we have, the temptations that we hope he'll help us to steer clear of. For thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever. These are words that begin to elevate the soul again. Rather than than trying to look over what Satan said, what God said, and make ourselves the measure of all things, to lift up our hearts to be under something and not just under the sun. 
Sometimes we try to stand over and not under. But when we are willing to be under and not over, we can get a little quieter and we can listen and we can dwell quietly with lingering questions. Some questions can remain. And when we're under God, guess what? We let him know some things that we don't know. I mean, it stands to reason that if someone made us, that we can't put that someone into what he made. He has to be outside of it. Not the man upstairs, but more like Hamlet, considering who is Shakespeare. Hamlet is just squiggly writings on a page from the imagination of the author. And so when we begin to recognize that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that we have a sense of awe at the cliff's edge, that we're willing to be under, and maybe we can come before the Lord a little quieter, even if questions remain. Allowing questions to remain. It says, um, the mouth, let not your mouth lead you into sin. Making deals in the moment, right? You understand what that's saying here? He's saying, don't make a vow. You know, Lord, if you, if you can just get me out of this mess, then I will what? Whatever, fill in the blank. You know, you've done this. You've said this. We've all done this where it's like, Lord, just get me out of this situation and then I'm gonna do this. And then as soon as, as everything's squared away again, it's like, well, well, well I, I can't really remember what I promised. Was, did I say something I was gonna do? Was I, did I make a vow there that I was gonna fulfill? Was there something? I mean, I'm out of it now, so it's good. We're good, right? You're good, I'm good, everybody's good. We're good. He's saying, don't, don't make those kinds of vows. Don't, don't become transactional with God. Don't let your mouth lead you into making God a means to an end. You need him. You need him in heaven. And it says, God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. You need to recognize that he's much bigger than all of your problems, even if those problems and questions remain. Well, you say, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that, that there, there are aspects of, of God that we're not going to understand? Let me answer this as clearly as I can. Yes. <laughs> yes. Listen to the way that William Blake poetically puts this point in his, um, one of his poems of innocence and experience called The Tiger. It's one of my favorite poems. And he describes someone by describing the maker of a tiger. Listen to what he says. Tiger, tiger burning bright in the forests of the night, what immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? You see it? What immortal hand or eye could frame your fearful 
symmetry. There's beauty, but there's something awesome about it, something awful about it. In what distant deeps or skies burnt the fire of thine eyes? On what wings dare he aspire? What the hand dare seize the fire? And when the stars threw down their spears and watered heaven with their tears, did he smile his work to see? Did he who made the lamb make thee? Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forest of the night, what immortal hand or eye dare frame thy fearful symmetry? There's something comprehensible, comprehensible about God's creation. But there's something that we can apprehend within his creation that we cannot fully comprehend. There's something we can apprehend that we cannot fully comprehend. You know, I think of it this way. There are times when, um, when sometimes we want to think of our human relationships as sort of transactional, right? Someone tells you something and you tell them something else. They have the floor for a while and then you take the floor. You know, they've been talking for a while, they've told their story and, and now you're gonna tell your little story, it's lunchtime. But aren't there times when someone tells you their story and they've taken you through the highs and lows of some great challenge or pain, some incredible journey, and they've given you a part of themselves. They've, they've almost laid their soul bare, and you're so amazed with the moment. It's like you're on holy ground, like you should take off your shoes. Have you been in that kind of moment where it's not like, oh, well, last week <laughs> I went roller coasters, you know? I mean, it, it, there, there are times when you just want to linger in that moment a little quieter because somebody's really taken you to the heights and the depths of their experience. Solomon, Ecclesiastes is saying, this is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end of wisdom. It's not the end all and be all of wisdom. But to know who we're talking to, to remember who we're talking to, sometimes we need to get down our belly an inch towards the cliff. Just maybe stick our chin out there a little bit, see what we can see. A little bit of respect when you're on holy ground. G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorites, he says this, man can understand everything. <laughs> this is crazy, but I love it. Listen to this. Man can understand everything by the help of what he does not understand. By the help of what he does not understand. The morbid logician seeks to make everything lucid and succeeds in making everything mysterious. I'm thinking back to our chaplain friend up in, at Harvard. Making everything lucid and cloaks everything in mystery. The mystic allows one thing to be mysterious and everything else becomes lucid. To be able to 
stand under. Not over. A little quieter. Is to be able to let our words, even the words that we utter half-heartedly, the words of the Lord's Prayer, words that are given to us rather than multiplying the words of fools. It's to begin a journey in wisdom. Let's pray together. Holy God, how we thank you for the words you've given to us. Again, help us to receive. Two ears, one mouth. Put us in the posture to receive from your holy hand, from your word, through Christ our Lord. Amen.